Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Today, again, is the celebration of Pentecost. And for the last number of years, we generally look at Pentecost through the lens of Acts chapter 2, which is what I was just talking with the kids about. But today I want to look at it through the lens of John chapter 7. John chapter 7 that we heard, because through that scripture is also life offered to us as well. John tells us that it's the festival of tabernacles. Now, tabernacles means tent or dwelling place, and it specifically refers to the tabernacle that Yahweh dwelt in. God had Moses build this tent so that God could be with them. And it's an important fact that it was a tent, because all of the people of Israel at that time were living in tents, and they were traveling through the desert, which is a very dangerous place to be. But God was with them the entire time. And so an annual celebration was made to celebrate remembering their time dwelling in the desert, but with God in their midst in the tabernacle. And this text, John keeps joining together this language of water and spirit. And not just this text, but throughout his writing. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and drink. Whoever trusts in me, streams of the water of life will flow out from their belly, in Greek. Flow out from their belly. And then John emphasizes for us, in case we missed it, Jesus isn't talking about actual water coming out of people. He's talking about the Spirit. Water and Spirit. John brings these things together again and again. The Samaritan woman at the well, right? I have water that you can drink and you will never thirst again. She says, give me this water. I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. Talking about water, and then they also start, again, in the midst of that, speaking about worship in the spirit, water and spirit. Nicodemus shows up at nighttime. Somebody must be born again, and, and, and Nicodemus is wondering, how is that possible? How can a person go back inside their mother's belly? And Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and spirit. Again and again, John keeps joining together this language of water and spirit. Where does he get this from? He gets it from Genesis chapter 2, actually. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, the land is described as a desert. There's no plants, there's no water, there's no humans, there's no life. It's an uninhabitable land, and God makes water spring forth from the ground. Because God's presence has shown up in this place that he calls Eden. This water gushes out, and it's this great river. And then this river bifurcates into these distributaries, these four massive rivers that go out and water the land And we may not be familiar with this, but this language of a single stream flowing out from a really high place, right, because water flows downhill, is all ancient imagery for the presence of God in the world, right? Dwelling on a high place with a spring, the Garden of Eden, God's presence in the world. And what does that water do? Plants burst forth from the ground. Life comes out of the belly of the earth. But before Genesis 2 elaborates on that Garden of Eden imagery, the water's gone out, it's covered the surface of the land, and God takes some of the soil from the top that's wet, and he molds it into a human being, 
and then he breathes into the human being. The word breath in Scripture and the word spirit often are the exact same word. Spirit, breath, wind. And so what do we see in Genesis 2? Water and spirit, right? Water and spirit from the presence of God bringing blessing, life, and abundance into the world for humanity, for the garden, for the entire thing. From God's presence, life is flowing forth. And he brings humanity into his presence and he invites them with joy to cultivate life, to partner with him, to live in the blessing of Eden and to partner in cultivating life for the whole world. Out of God's presence, water and spirit, Eden blessing. But the world, as we sadly know, doesn't remain in that Eden blessing. Throughout the scriptures, throughout history, throughout today even, there's beautiful and wonderful things, but there's also a whole lot that looks like the desert, that looks like scarcity or lack, that's full of danger or pain or death. And yet, throughout the biblical narrative, and we are invited to trust throughout history, God keeps showing up to bring Eden blessing even in the most desolate and dangerous of places. Eventually, the prophet Ezekiel offers this vision. A new temple on the earth, presence of God, right? Temple, presence of God on the earth, and there's water flowing out from the temple. And that water, that stream it keeps getting bigger, wider, and deeper, even though there's no other water flowing into it. It's just getting more and more immense by the depth of God's compassion. That water flows out from the presence of God, and it hits the desert. And the whole thing bursts into life. Palm trees, flowers, fruit trees. The water hits the Dead Sea and suddenly it's teeming with living animals and the shoreline is all lush and green. It looks like the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden showing up there in the desert. Why? By the presence of God, water and spirit bringing God's blessing into the world. John tells us It's the festival of tabernacles. And specifically, it's the last and the greatest day of that festival. We know that there was a tradition on the last and greatest day of the festival to read Ezekiel chapter 47. That image of the temple and the water flowing out of it. And we also know that part of that festival involved a water drawing ceremony where they would go to the pool of Siloam, draw water, bring it to the temple, pour it out at the altar. It's this enactment of hope, this enactment of anticipation of God said he's going to show up and bring Eden blessing into the world, and they read that scripture and they enact that pouring out of water. John says it's the last and greatest day of the festival, and Jesus gets up and starts shouting, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out from their belly. The text does not explicitly say this, but imagine if they're pouring out the water, reading Ezekiel 47, and this guy from the crowd starts shouting, I'm that blessing. Everybody come to me. Right? This is a crazy thing for Jesus to do. 
And even if it's not explicitly that moment, it's the last and greatest day. It's the day in which these aspects of that celebration take place. They're all anticipating, they're all longing for God's blessing to show up. And Jesus has the audacity to claim and shout over the crowd, I am that blessing. Water and spirit flowing out from him for the life of the world. Now, to put it lightly, Jesus has had mixed reviews at this festival. He showed up about halfway through. People are misunderstanding him. His own family members don't actually trust him at all. Some people do believe him. Uh, It's not an overwhelmingly positive experience, but some of them are believers and followers. And then the religious leaders, they want to kill him. And this event doesn't help. They send soldiers, temple soldiers, to go and get him, to kill him, arrest him. And they come back and they fail at their job because they said, well, we've never heard anybody speak like this before, right? They're somehow amazed at his words. Jesus speaks out openly and publicly, which is a dangerous thing to do. But he does it because he trusts that he is the presence of God in the world. He is the source of Eden blessing, the source of life for all who thirst who are in the danger of the desert, that they can come to him and drink water and spirit. And they'll find provision and abundance of life in him. But something I find, I guess, even more remarkable about what Jesus says here is that trusting in him, it transforms us. And it transforms us not only to receive this blessing, this liquid life, if you will, But he claims that anybody who trusts in him becomes a source of Eden blessing themselves. The life that flows from Jesus as a blessing for the world comes to us and then starts flowing out of us. It's like that image from Eden, that single stream from the presence of God bifurcating into these four great rivers. The water, the life of Jesus bifurcates out, if you will, and we become distributaries of that blessing, of that Eden blessing, water and spirit. We become almost, and hear me out on this, like tabernacles of God's presence. Not in the sense that Jesus is, because we're not God, right? We never will be but rather tabernacles in the sense that the Spirit is housed in us and God's presence promises to go with us. We become these mobile, gushing springs of the Spirit in which what Jesus offers flows to us and out of us into the world, even into that which is barren, dangerous, painful, and full of death. Eden's blessing by the Spirit is moving around out in the world through you. And through me. Jesus claims this happens by trust, right? Trusting in Him. And trust doesn't mean you sit back and you do nothing and you just wait. Trust is a posture that shapes how we act in the world and how we speak. And living and speaking out of trust in Jesus, it's not easy because, well, it doesn't always look like Eden blessing. It doesn't always look like this wonderful garden that you get to stroll through. Sometimes the way of trust in Jesus looks dangerous. Sometimes it looks like it's full of pain. It can be painful when a family member opposes the way of Jesus. 
And I'm not necessarily referring to someone in our family who's not a Christian. That matters too, for sure. But even when Christians themselves speak and act in a way that is antithetical towards or destructive towards the way of Jesus, it's difficult to speak and be present into those situations. Jesus has to deal with this again and again with his own followers. I mean, he's going and speaking in the temple to all of his people, and right, he gets a very mixed review, if you will. To speak and trust of Jesus to trust in his way of compassion in that situation, it could mean that we end up on the receiving end of harsh words from our family member, even if they're a Christian person. It means we could experience neglect or pain in that relationship. Taking a posture of trust in Jesus and striving to live into matters today of care and justice, especially for the least, for the marginalized in our neighborhoods, in our society, It's not easy. It may mean opposition. It may mean that in posturing ourselves to trust Jesus, we experience animosity from others, or even slander from friends, family members, coworkers, or strangers. But taking that position of trust also means being a source of Eden's outpouring blessing through Jesus and the Spirit. And to be fair, there's all sorts of other ways that we can posture ourselves that are a whole lot more comfortable and may even be more enticing in beauty to us. Ways of avoidance, apathy, feigning ignorance, or taking up sort of the opposite energy, if you will, of anger and vengeance and hatred. Things that look active, look strong, and you can kind of shroud them in the idea of, well, I'm bringing blessing through this hatred and this anger and this vengeance and we can even shroud it in language of trust in Jesus but underneath it all it ends up being antithetical to the life of trust in the Messiah trust in Jesus does not mean we avoid sit back and do nothing it does not mean that we take a position of hostility or fear trusting Jesus means venturing into relationships into situations with a vehement humility and a burning desire to bring Eden blessing into the world, not in our way, but in God's way, not of our own accord, but because of and in connection to Jesus. And sometimes we ourselves may need to be confronted in this regard because we as Christian people might also say and do things that are antithetical and destructive towards the way of Jesus. But being willing to hear that, to hear that from another Christian person speaking truth to us in their trust in Jesus, that can be painful, but it is part of our life in Jesus as well. It's part of our life of continuing to remain connected to this gift of grace that he freely gives Part of our life of being springs of the Spirit, connected to the source himself, who pours out the grace of God with life for all. God's compassion is one that brings life and abundance in the danger and death of the desert. It's not what we would expect. It's often backwards. In John's account of the crucifixion, Jesus says something that I think is strange. He says, I thirst. 
Now, we might think that's not strange. I mean, he's being crucified. Of course, he's going to be thirsty. But hear me out on this. John's the only one that records Jesus saying this. And everywhere else in John's account where there's this language of thirst, Jesus is telling people, anybody who's connected to me will never thirst. Anybody who's doing the will of God will never thirst. And Jesus says, I thirst. That seems wrong. Something seems off there. Why in the world is Jesus thirsty? And then we hear that he dies and he gives up his spirit, his breath. A soldier comes by and pierces his side and a sudden flow of blood and water starts gushing out. Why was he thirsty? Because he's pouring out all of this water, all of this life into the world. He, in his crucifixion, is not this God on a high hill with a stream flowing down with the beauty of the garden. He is crucified, and he is the source of Eden blessing. Water, life for the world. But John's not done there yet. Jesus is raised from the dead, and he shows up in this room with his followers. And guess what he does? He breathes on them. Or more specifically, he breathes into them. The Greek word that John uses only shows up once, if I remember correctly, in the New Testament. And it shows up just a small amount of times in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint. And it's in Genesis 2, when God breathes into the human that he forms out of the dirt, right? What God does in Genesis 2, Jesus does in a fuller and newer way to his followers. And again, John has this language, water and spirit. It's there in the beginning as God brings his creative abundance, his blessing with his presence. And now it is being fulfilled in a greater way through Jesus, who in his crucifixion ushers out water and through his resurrection breathes his spirit into his people. His blessing comes to us. But as we trust in him, as we trust in his grace and his posture of blessing, that does seem very backwards in our world. As we trust in Jesus, the life and blessing he offers, it flows out of us, Jesus says. We are springs of living water in the world by his grace today. We are full of the breath of God's life to cultivate and partner with God to bring Eden blessing, the very life of Jesus himself in the spirit, wherever we go. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.